Oi, listen up, you scum. Get your bleeding lug holes around this. Welcome to The Strange and Deadly Show. Brought to you by Gentlemen's Grindhouse Records. On this show we discuss films on the Section 3 list. I almost forgot what the name of it was, Tom. Related to the video nasties, you all know that. We pair up our films every fortnight based on a theme, yes. You can find out more information about all of our podcasts over at gentlemensgrindhouserecords.com and subscribe on iTunes, of course, and via any podcatcher you might be using. I personally use Overcast and Pocketcast. There are all sorts of different ones you can use to find us and to listen to us. Uh, we'll give you information uh, on all of this again and also tell you how you can get your feedback and comments over to us at the end of the show. But forget about all of that for now. Forget about it. You better forget about it or you're going to be sleeping with the fishes. That's right. There is a reason why I'm talking like this. I don't, I'm not normally this aggressive or threatening, but there's a reason for it. Tom's going to tell you about that in just a moment. But who's that? Tom? Tom, there's another person on this podcast. Well, well, yes, yes, there is. I'm very excited, folks. I don't know where I'm going with any of this. My name is Chris Clayton. You may also know me as the Gore Boy. I used to do a show many years ago called Gore Boy Radio, and I'm joined by my co-host, Who You Be. It's Tom the Killer Elliot. Hey, the Killer Elliot. Getting into the swing of things, you know. That's right, you see. Tom knows how to play along. And also, Tom's a dangerous man. Very softly spoken, very polite. That deep, booming voice. But underneath lurks the mind and the heart of a warrior, first of all. And second of all, a killer. That's right. That's right. Tom, why are we talking like this, uh, <laughs> this <laughs> on this particular episode? Why, why, why are we sounding like this? What's the reason for it? It must have something to do with the theme of this episode. Yeah, you're right there. It's, um, it's another one of those little paths that the Section 3 leads us down, away from horror movies, and I, I like these. Um, mm. This time, it's given us a couple of gangster movies. Now, when we did The Thing and Extra... Uh, it was a look at what sci-fi movies were at the time, like alien movies on each side of the pond. And this is another kind of similar setup as well. We've got one from the UK and mm-hmm. one from America. And I think as we go through and discuss these two, we'll see that there's more similarities going on a bit under the skin of these movies than uh, than what's going on on the surface. So it's it's going to be an interesting one, I think. Yeah, it's sort of interesting to see that there are similarities there, that there's some real comparisons you can draw that sort of bring these two and group them up, I think, better than, than we even thought they might have done. When you put when you group them together, uh, prior to us, you know, get it setting off on this journey of exploring all of these movies, I never really thought that they would work together quite as well as they as they have. So, uh, yeah, very, very interesting. Before we get into telling you about these movies and discussing them, of course, as we always do, uh, how have you been, my friend? What have you been up to since last we spoke? I've been good. I've been good, busy. I think, uh, you know, if we're going to stay kind of on topic with horror, something that came out that both you and I got, both Mm -hmm. you and I have watched, and um, that is Leviathan, the story of Hellraiser. That really dropped through our letterboxes, so I've been enjoying that. It's a it's a long old documentary, well, two documentaries and special features. So mm-hmm. I haven't finished it yet, but I, I think it's uh, it's what I hoped it would be. It, it's been a good 
good watch so far. What do you think? Well, I haven't started watching it yet, um, mm. so I'm kind of you know I was going to ask you actually what you thought of it, the quality of it, and um, whether you thought it was worth the wait. I mean, I'm desperately wanting to watch it. I'm very excited about it. Um, I'll tell you why I haven't been watching it, uh, why I haven't watched it yet. But um, yeah, what did you think of it overall? It's good. It's very good. In fact, there are um, a couple of notable omissions in uh, the, the commentators on it, the, the people included in the documentary, like Clive Barker isn't in it. Now, if you listen to uh, Gentleman's Grand House Radio episode two, I introduced interview Gary Smart who's the producer and he explains why Clive Barker's not in it so that mm-hmm. was to be expected but then there's like Ashley Lawrence she she's very important to Hellraiser 1 and 2 and she's not in it either which is unfortunate but then there's uh, there's uh, interviews with people who probably haven't really been interviewed about Hellraiser before and he might be a bit more in the background but this is their chance to tell their stories and there's some mm. great ones in there so you know the balance is there you know Ashley Lawrence has probably given a million interviews about Hellraiser but there's a lot of people in this one who haven't and I think that creates a nice new unique uh, kind of flavor to it oh great well I look forward to watching it the reason I haven't been watching it uh, is because I've been playing the living crap out of Arkham Knight Ah. on the PlayStation 4 I'm a big uh, well I don't think this will be a surprise to anybody. I'm a huge Batman fan. And I'm a, the Arkham series is probably my favourite series of games of all time, I would say, just as a series in general. And it's a it's a brilliant game. There's some the, the story of it, there's some really dark psychological stuff in there. If you like your Batman stories to be very dark um, and really explore the villain Scarecrow in particular and the fear toxin and I just sort of don't want to say much more than that because it goes to some places you don't expect it's rare to play a game where you feel like everything is at stake and you don't quite know if the hero is going to make it till the end oh wow there's been quite a lot of controversy about the PC version of the game Hmm. because it came out and it's it's a mess it was given to another company, Iron Galaxy. Rocksteady, who's the developer, they didn't do the PC version. They did the console versions. They gave it to another developer who only had two months to work on it, um, who'd never done a PC port before. And the PC version is a, is a, a disaster. It was so bad that it was, it's been taken off shelves. You can't even buy it anymore because they're fixing all the problems with it and then they're going to re-release it again. The console versions of it, the PS4 version of it is apparently the definitive one it plays beautifully um so i've been a bit of a gamer recently i mean that's one of my biggest hobbies anyway but that's sort of been the reason why i haven't tackled it i've got so much so many films coming in tom and i I need to sit down i mean do you ever go through phases where you you sort of do one particular kind of activity like it might be gaming for example and you kind of neglect you know, uh, watching movies and things like that. And then you're done with that phase and then you move on and you do start catching up with all the stuff you missed. All the time, all the time. That's the story of my life, mate. Just, you know, focusing on one thing. In an ideal world, you wouldn't have to work and we could do a bit each day of, of all those things. But um, Absolutely. You know. Yeah, I find it very difficult, actually, to, to, to chop and change. Like, I find it difficult to say, I'm going to play two hours of Batman, then I'm going to watch... Uh, uh, one movie then I'm going to do this and I'm going to read a book I find it very difficult to do all those things yeah you know one after the other I sort of feel that I have to focus on one thing for a while uh, look we've talked about the stuff that we've been up to lately nobody gives a shit 
What they really want to hear about, Tom, and I know this for a fact, is they want to hear about gangster movies. Well, then let's give them a couple. Shall I, uh, shall I lead on? Yes, I don't think you've actually said... I don't think we've really said what the films are yet. Well, okay, well then uh, I'll uh, say what they are. Our American film is known in the UK as The Executioner. It's known in the US, I believe, as Massacre Mafia Style. And that's what it's called on the release that I've got. Oddly enough, in the end credits, after you've watched this film that opens up as Massacre Mafia Style... It calls itself like father, like son. Mm. So that's uh, that's the US film. And the UK film has just one title, and that is GBH. That's right. And I think if you're somebody who, unlike me, really didn't know all that much, really, about the shot-on-video uh, market that was around the in, in the 80s in particular and the early 90s, if you know about that, you probably know about this movie and about the lead star in it. Uh, so we will get to that. But first of all, we're kicking off with The Executioner. Tom, tell us all about it. Okay, like I say, The Executioner, a.k.a. Massacre Mafia Style, a.k.a. Like Father, Like Son, released in 1974, directed and written by Duke Mitchell, also starring Duke Mitchell as well. And The Executioner explores the rise and fall of Mimi Michelli, played by Duke Mitchell, son of the great Don Mimi, who was deported from America after battling with the mob there and returned to Sicily, where he still has power. The young Mimi desires a better life than the one he has and seeks to visit America and obtain a tight grip on the pimps and bookmakers dominating Los Angeles. Although the Don warns him that it won't be so easy, Mimi refuses to listen and insists that he can make an impact. He leaves behind a six-year-old son and departs for Los Angeles. In LA, Mimi tracks down his old friend Jolly, played by Vic Caesar, and the two of them conspire to gain power over the mob in the city. They begin by kidnapping Chucky Tripoli, a major mob boss with influence. They cut off one of his fingers, retaining it to his family, and offering to retain Chucky, in time for his son's wedding, with no more missing limbs if they'll agree to pay a ransom fee. The other bosses decide to comply and offer up the money, resulting in Chucky being safely retained for the wedding. Mimi and Jolly swing by for the occasion too, and Chucky agrees to forget about the severed limb because of his respect for Mimi's father. They decide to work together instead, with Mimi and Jolly becoming part of the group. While at the wedding, Mimi meets a young girl named Liz, who becomes his lover. Together, Mimi and Jolly go on a rampage around LA, mercilessly killing the pimps and bookmakers who stand in their way. News of the killings reaches Sicily, and Don Mimi is outraged and ashamed that his son has turned to murderous ways. He sends family advisor Bones over to America, who threatens Mimi and supplies him with enough cash to invest in their legitimate business, provided he stops killing. Mimi and Jolly pour the money into the pornographic film business, hiring a director to shoot a film in the hopes of a big recoup from the profits. To score girls for future projects, the duo decide to visit Superspook, the biggest pimp in LA, in the hopes he'll lend them his girls. He refuses and pushes Mimi to breaking point. Superspook is later found dead, nailed to a cross in Hollywood, killed by the duo. 
When Mimi's lover Liz reveals that she's heard Chucky and other bosses discussing their plans to take Mimi out, it's enough to convince he and Jolly that they should strike first. So they take to the streets and begin taking out the bosses one by one. This time, however, there won't be a lack of consequences for their actions. The mob wants to fight back, especially after the death of Chucky's beloved son, delivered to them by the murderous duo, who now have a real fight on their hands. You know, it's a funny thing, Mimi, about the Italians. All we want to do is to eat, drink, be happy. What do we get? Disgrace. No, Chucky, the Italian hasn't been disgraced. You and I disgraced it. This old woman here is the one who's been disgraced. It's the one who's been taken to punches. She's the one who was handed the organ grinder and the monkey when she got off the boat. See these hands? You know what they smell of? Aregana, Bosnigol, beautiful herbs. They gave you mustard choli, lasagna, pizza, the most appreciated foods in the world. What did we give her, Chucky? We gave her violence. We gave her death. We gave her dishonor. We gave these hands the ability to fondle the rosary beads and pray for us while we're in jail facing the electric chair. These hands praying for me and you, kissing the cross for us before the guy pulls the switch. Let him call her WAP, Dago, the old guinea, the one with the bun in the back of her hair with the knitting needles in it and the knots in her stockings. Because to me, she's as pure as the homemade wine she makes, the cookies she bakes. She's as powerful as the atomic bomb that Fermi invented, her son. I love her, Chucky. And someday we'll forget that she is violence, Cosa Nostra. That ugly name we gave her, Mafia. So every time you see her, beware of this woman. We'll come up to you and she'll ask, did you eat? Have some more. That's all she wants. I love her. I love her. In many ways, you are like your father, Mimi. Your worries are his worries. La tua force è la sua force. Your strength is his strength. Okay. Uh, Chris, I think this was a first time watch for both of us. So what do you think of Massacre Mafia style? Hey, uh, Tom, are you talking to me? <laughs> are you talking to me, Tom? That was a horrible accent, that was wasn't terrible. it? That was really, really bad. I should feel ashamed, and yet I'm not going to cut it out. I'm going to leave it in there, my embarrassment for everybody to hear. Uh, yes, the uh, first time I've ever seen this one, uh, just as a general overview, I've got to say I enjoyed this quite a bit. It is uh, rough around the edges, and it's sloppy in several different places. There's a bit of heart to it and a bit of ambition to it. And I think, in a way, it reminds me, not in terms of plot or anything like that, I think I actually think this film is more accomplished uh, than Abducted. But it reminds me of Abducted in that you've got a filmmaker who's really trying. And I admire that. I really admire when, when a filmmaker is trying to do something. Duke Mitchell, who directed this film, Stars in it, of course, wrote it. Really, you can tell, didn't have very much money to work with when he made this. But I think he did probably the best job he could have done, mm -hmm. given the lack of funds, given perhaps his lack of experience as a filmmaker. This was the first film he ever directed. He only ever uh, made two. Uh, we'll talk about the other one a bit later on. But yeah, just as a general overview, I found myself very entertained by it, very interested in... in the central character of Mimi, who is, I think, who gave me very mixed feelings, because I, I, I think he's a 
pretty awful person and there were times where I, I, I wanted him to be taken down but then there were times when I wanted him to succeed so it sort of you know it, it, it pulled me <laughs> to and fro but I have to say just as, yeah, yeah just as a sort of general opinion I was pleasantly surprised by this one yeah yeah I think when you say it was rough around the edges I think it was a bit rough in the middle as well wasn't it it mm, was just mm. generally quite rough but binding it all together is Duke Mitchell as Mimi I think I mm. think he he is the draw here it's his project he's the one who who sort of fires the whole thing with his passion if it was someone else in that role without the kind of magnetism he has I think the whole thing was in danger of just just falling apart because there's some ropey acting in this you know there's really ropey I mean I'll give you an example there's a there's a scene sort of in the middle where Mimi he has he has a couple of times in the movie where he's delivering these monologues and this I think is Duke Mitchell tra- coming through and trying to yeah. uh, say the message of the film and He's sitting with this old Italian woman and some other, you know, Italian mafia guys. And he's like, you know, look at this woman. All she wants to do is, uh, you know, cook fucking cannolis and, you know, make sure your stomach's full. And, uh, you know, he's he's doing all this. And, and what do we bring? We bring her violence and, and death. And, and then she speaks and she's like, Mimi, I... <laughs> 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 oh, I love your voices, mate. You should do all the voices on this podcast. You're way better than me. And she's like, Mimi, I don't. <laughs> Sorry, I can't even do it. But basically, you know, you go from him, who's I, I think he's a decent actor, to be honest. Um, and then uh, Duke Mitchell, because yeah. he, he's got a lot of experience. Um, and uh, and but then it goes to this woman who's probably a genuine. Mm. old italian woman who's never acted in her life and it's just like such a and it's that's the thing with this film i think like you said he really wants to put a message out there to say something to make some statement or comment um and he just hasn't quite got the skill to pull it off but i just appreciate the efforts that went into it and i enjoyed the film too yeah, he's trying, you know. And I, I admire people who try, even if they don't quite make it. I mean, I think, you know, it's like you were saying, I think Duke Mitchell, magnetism is a great word for it, I think. Because mm. he's got a great face for the screen, hasn't he? Yeah. I think it's a good face and, and, and he fits well. Um, Obviously, he, an experienced actor. I mean, he's been working since the 50s. So I think he's, his delivery, sometimes it's a bit off. But a lot of the time he nails it. And some of the monologues, as, as you mentioned, he's got these sort of moments where he's... Where you, you can tell that it's pretty much Duke Mitchell just sort of explaining about Sicilian men. And, and there's even a point, actually, at the end of the uh, near the end of the movie where he, he pretty much calls out The Godfather and mm. says... Which, you know, was released two years prior to this. And, you know, pretty much says that The Godfather has sort of painted Sicilian men in this very negative light. That's pretty much what he's saying. Uh, but at the same time, I feel like this movie kind of wants to be the Godfather as well. So it's, you know, it, it it's sort of reacting against it. But at the same time, I think Duke Mitchell would love if it became that sort of success. Do you, do you get what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're, we'll go into specific scenes and a mm. bit of a breakdown as we go on. But I think this this is probably the, the kind of the issue with it in a way is that, you know, 
he he makes that impassioned sort of speech about the old woman and you know she just wants to make sure your belly's full and look what we bring to the table you know violence and death and then he goes on a killing spree and kills yeah. a few more people yeah. you know the the kind of uh, reflective moments of a killer is quite an interesting thing and it can be quite interesting but i think his lack of experience just makes it a bit ham-fisted because he's he's quite gleeful in his his killing at times you know what i mean so the the juxtaposition of the two greats a bit whereas it should be you know a gradual i mean when he comes home at the end as well it's like he's he's kind of learned his lesson Mm. um and he makes a very long impassioned speech to his dad as well you know you know the fucking this then you and it's like um you know that's where it falls down that the two don't sit very well the way he's done it but it's not to say that they can't be done better by a better filmmaker than they have been but he just hasn't quite got that skill to do it but that aside it's still quite an entertaining whole yeah i mean when he uh, entertaining whole eh? uh <laughs> when he uh you know i had to do it uh, when, when he makes those speeches he sort of sounds, you know, very passionate about what he's saying. But then, like you say, he does things as the character that completely contradict it. So it's, yeah. you know, like he'll talk about, he's basically, what he's basically saying in these speeches is that we get the, us Sicilian men, uh, you know, gangsters, we get into this cycle of death and killing. But then he's the one who's doing these things quite willingly. So it's like, well, you're sort of saying, it's almost like Duke Mitchell is saying these things when he's making these speeches, it, it's the actor saying them. But then when he's doing, you know, when he's going on these rampages with Jolly, then all of a sudden it's the character that's taken over and the two never quite, uh, you know, mesh together that's particularly right. well. But so, I mean, let, let's sort of start from, from the beginning. We've we got this this opening scene, which apparently is quite infamous. Now, I I have to say, I thought the, the opening scene is definitely very memorable. I think it's quite sloppily done. <laughs> definitely. Um, it's a bit all over the place. Like it's, it's. I mean, sort of. You know, let's sort of describe between us what goes on here. So we, we, we meet Mimi and Jolly, for the very first time. They walk into this place, and there's this guy sitting down, uh, in a wheelchair actually, and they, <laughs> and they take him away, wheel him into the the uh, bathroom, and they stick his foot up on a on a urinal. Mm-hmm. and um electrocute him <laughs> and then but that's not really the, the shocking thing they then go around this place this building and they kill everybody except for this one little kid yeah but they kill everybody and you don't know why they're doing it at this point you don't even really know who these I mean, you know you don't know who these guys are you're not aware i mean i wasn't aware that they were the you know sort of the two main characters in there it's memorable but it's it's quite the editing and everything's quite sloppy, isn't it? It is. I I think it's it's a great opener in terms of getting the audience to sit up and take notice. I think it wouldn't surprise me if Tarantino had seen this years mm. ago, and uh, it's influenced him. The thing is, they go on this killing spree and they go into an office and there's some guys in there and they turn round. There's about three or four guys, and Mimi and Jolly take them all out and. Mimi's jumping all over the furniture and just sort of doing these gun poses that, you know, no one's firing back, I don't think. So (laughs) you could have just stood there and mowed them down. Um, And then they go into the next room, which is literally the next room. Now, if you've ever been near a gun when it's fired, they are loud. Hmm. But 
everyone else who they encounter just seems to be going about their business. There's one yeah. guy taking a piss. There's another guy just stood there with a drink. You know, no one's running for the door. They're just sort of like, oh, my God, you know, and they're all caught by surprise, even though there's like been about three or four people already shot. So, yeah, yeah very sloppily done. But I, I guess like the film itself, sloppy, but, but still entertaining. Yeah, there are two guys just standing around having a conversation, you know, like, oh, how was your day? Yeah, oh, absolutely wonderful. Yeah, I did some work for uh, Brannigan over there. And they, I'm not saying they're actually saying these things, but mm. they just seem to be having that sort of conversation that you have at work. Like, oh, how are you? Yeah, yeah, I'm absolutely fine. And of course, turn around and there's Jolly and and Mimi. And it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. But you remember it. Yeah, yeah. And then when they get into the lift and it... The music up until this point has been quite jovial. It's, you know, and then the music turns ominous because a, a little boy gets into the lift and, uh, you know, it's like, oh, are they going to kill the kid? You know, it's it's a moment of suspense. And it is genuinely like you do stop and think, are they going to kill the kid? But then it goes on. It seems to go on forever. And Mimi looks at this kid and he does that Italian thing where he, you know, pinches his cheek and he's like hey you know and but it goes on for it seems to go on forever and he's just molesting this kid's head you know yeah he's just like fondling his face yeah <laughs> instead of you know give him a quick you know pinch around the chops and say, hey you know he's there like <laughs> sort of kneading his face for <laughs> five minutes before they get out of the lift but uh, yeah so yeah and then also during that opening i mean vic Cizo, who played jolly in this I, you know, I caught him a couple of times, like trying desperately not to look at the camera. <laughs> uh, I, I, so I think that it sort of goes back to what you were saying a, a little bit earlier on in that some of these people were not naturally gifted actors. And you can tell that they're really trying not to stare at the camera as it as it floats on by. Mm. So we move on from this opening scene and then we sort of get introduced to, to Mimi, his life uh, in Sicily. Mm-hmm. And he's got this, we see this this baptism scene where his young son is being baptised, his wife is there, his wife passes away two years after, and uh, had never been comfortable with him, uh, was afraid of him, and we then sort of flash forward. Now, I, one flaw to this movie is that we're, <laughs> we're supposed to believe that, that Mimi is quite a young guy. Yeah, he never Duke, seems it, does he? No, I mean, Duke Mitchell is like in his 50s, you know, like, um, and... Apparently, according to something I read on IMDb, by the time he comes back to Sicily, no, 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 sorry. By the time he goes to Los Angeles, he's supposed to be about thirty-one years old. Really? But he looks, yeah, but he looks like he's approaching sixty. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, so that's one flaw. But I sort of wondered, like, why would he leave a six-year-old son back in Sicily and fly to America? I mean, I know obviously he wants to exert some power, some control. Towards the end of the movie, you sort of get this this monologue from him where he explains that the whole, you know, all of these different businesses and these rackets have been taken over by black people. Mm-hmm. So I and I, I have some some problems actually with some of the dialogue in this related to that. But I just sort of wonder what the point of it all was. Whether he, you know, was it ultimately because he wanted to exert control? Was he was there a racist streak in him where he was upset by the fact that a lot of these businesses were controlled by black people and therefore wanted to fly over and take them back over? I mean, what was really the motivation behind why he would leave his son 
behind for many, many years. I mean, he's in Los Angeles for, by the time he comes back, his son is, what, 17 years old. So he's been there for a long time. You know, why would he do it? It seems to me that it's the old thing of, you know, dad goes away to make his fortune in the hope that he can come back and provide for the family kind of thing. I think where it falls down is the the family seem to be well provided for anyway because Don mm. Mimi is a successful man in his own right. But maybe it's a pride thing. He wanted to go and make his mark. He looks up to his dad and, um, you know, he wanted to go and, and carve his own slice and then, you know, come back to success. Um, but that's how I see it. But the passage of time really doesn't come across in this film, does mm-hmm. it? I mean, when he comes back from Sicily and his son's grown up, it seems like he's been gone a month or something and the son, <laughs> what the fuck, you know? Yeah. It just, the passage of time just doesn't play at all. No, I mean, you don't feel it in the way that you do, for example, in The Godfather, where there is this real sense of the passage of time as you go through it, particularly going through the, the first two films. You really feel that there's been a progression. The, mm. prog- the age progression, it, it there's a, tra- a very smooth transition. But of course, look, the c- uh, comparisons to The Godfather are going to pop up. I mean, it's just I- inevitable. <laughs> I mean, look, it, it would be silly of me not to say The Godfather is a much, much, much better movie than this. Yeah. Uh, it's a much longer movie than this. Uh, but I think that I sometimes I think that you need with a story like this, with a huge family and this sort of this big empire that needs to be explored. I feel like you need a good amount of time for a story to breathe. And I think one of the flaws with this is that it's not very long. It's only about 82 minutes long. Mm. And a lot happens very quickly. And it's quite I found it to be quite muddled. You know, like I sort of understood what the end goal was, which was that, you know, he wanted to become powerful in America. Mm -hmm. But I never really it sort of shook all over the place for me. I kind of I never really got to grips with the narrative. What was really holding me on was Duke Mitchell himself. Uh, You know, you've got Jolly in there played by Vic Caesar, who I think is a bit ropey sometimes. He is. He's still quite likable, though, I think. Mm. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. I would say... in terms of characters, the more likable of the two. Mm. But it, it just, a lot happens in a very short space of time. I think if the movie had been longer, I think if maybe they'd pushed pushed it towards maybe two hours, I think they might have been able to smooth it out a bit more. But but as it is, it, it really is the antithesis to The Godfather in that they've, they've made a film which is perhaps tonally trying to explore similar territory, but this is a lot more violent... Um, and it, like I said, it, it's a lot quicker. But then I think you lose out on the sort of smoothing out the narrative by by making it that quick. Possibly, possibly. Although I think the pace does drop at times as well. So I wonder whether it was longer. Uh, would it be, you know, a bit a bit dull? I'm not sure. Mm. It's interesting that final speech to his dad, where he's you know making this impassioned. Dad, you know, you got to get out of the business. It's, you know, it's different now and blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, he's like, they made a movie about you. And yeah, he's, he's kind of trying to insinuate that The Godfather was made about Don Mimi. Um, yeah. But now on the release I got from Grand House Release, and there is a documentary. I, I watched about five minutes of it because I didn't have time to watch it all. But someone does say that Duke Mitchell was very... Uh, when the Godfather came out, it, it was a bit of a, a a moment for him, you know. I think he really latched onto that and wanted to put his story forward about, you know, 
because he's an Italian-American male about you know what he perceives the, the the story to be kind of thing but yeah it's uh it's you know it's interesting to see the same thing done from different rungs on the ladder you know you've got Coppola right up there at the at the top of his game and then you've got Duke Mitchell who's all heart but hasn't quite got that talent yeah it's, it's, it's probably not a very good filmmaker really it could have been somebody who would get better hmm. as time goes as time goes on but I think that yeah I think it, it's one of those things it, it suffers a bit from 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 having in a strange way it suffers from having ambition yet that's one of the most positive things i can say about it but it just doesn't quite have it doesn't quite have enough talent to to get there but at the same time you have to say that in the godfather everybody there is is acting and pretending to be these things whereas duke mitchell as far as, as, far as i'm aware was never a gangster but had been around people like that in the 50s and had heard stories about them and was a bit of a hard nut himself. And so in a way you can say that there is more authenticity in this than, you know, Marlon Brando wasn't a gangster. You know, he played a brilliant one, but, he, but he, you know, he's, he's acting. So I, I feel like in some ways this is more more authentic even though the quality of it of course is is nowhere near that okay i think um it's difficult to know where to go next on this one i think we could talk about the general violence of the film because it is very violent i i don't think the violence really hits as hard as a lot of other films because it, it it's uh you know maybe maybe down to how it's directed you know it's mm -hmm. not directed with that level of skill that makes you really feel it but I think it's probably the sheer volume of it. There's a lot of blood going round, but the shade of the blood doesn't quite look very good, so it, it doesn't really have that impact either. But it's very enjoyable violence. You know, I like a violent movie, and this is, is a violent movie, so it's a, it's a good romp in that respect. You know, there, there are different things you can take from it, and I, I enjoy the violence in it quite a bit. Yeah, it's, it's entertaining. You know, because it's just so quick, and and the the violent scenes are very quick as well. And there's one there's one bit of actual gore in there where there's they take one of these mob bosses and they they kill him, they hang him up on a hook, mm. and the uh, the hook goes through his face and out of his eye, <laughs> and it's it's actually quite a an effective little gore scene, you know. And the makeup's not bad. It's enjoyable. I think that if I'm being honest with you, I think the plot is nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's just a series of stuff that's going on and there's no you know particular i don't think there's really a goal in mind as such you know i know the goal is for for the character to to gain some power there but i think it i think it's just a load of nonsense it's kind of thrown together but what i like about it is that it's entertaining nonsense you know i think mimi and and jolly kidnapping the mob boss chucky it's a strange thing because they kidnap him they set they cut off one of his fingers they send the severed figure a severed finger back to um, his house and his son intercepts it his son and his, his wife are there I guess or is that his mother I don't know I don't, I don't know um, <laughs> I don't know if that was ever made clear but anyway his son opens the box and there's his father's severed finger in there with the ring on there so you know that well it must be from my father hmm. but so they, they ask him for ransom money so then they get the money and they deliver Chucky back safely. But then they walk into the wedding and Mimi just sort of sits down next to him. And you just sort of think, well, I mean, why would Chucky want to forgive this guy? Why wouldn't he just bump him off? Because you took one of my fingers, man. I know. It's it's more than just, you know, a, 
a little lack of respect. He's, he's took his finger off, and I, I know they're gonna, you know, they try and say, well, it's because of Don Mimi, you know. And I guess if Don Mimi casts such a long shadow, uh, the film it doesn't really portray that particularly well. Because when we see Don Mimi, he's just this old Italian dude who can't act very well and can't speak English very well. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you said that actually, because there were a couple of moments in this where I couldn't understand what he was saying. You know, obviously bits will come out where you're like, okay, yeah, I understand that. But there are a few bits where he said something where his accent, which is very thick, mm-hmm. um, I was like, I don't know what you said. I'm sorry. I don't, you know, I'm not trying to be, you know, in any way uh, offensive towards him. I just, yeah, and this was the only thing that guy was ever in. Right. Uh, which is sort of understandable, I think. He ain't Marlon Brando, is he? No, it wouldn't surprise me if he was like Duke Mitchell's uncle or something, you know, something like that. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me either. It It is, but that particular part of the plot, I, I didn't really understand that, why Chucky would be so forgiving. And then he sort of, uh, Mimi then comes into the inner circle at that point. Yeah. And it's, it's sort of a strange thing. It's almost like Mimi has sort of bullied his way in. And, and then, of course, really the thing that sets all of this off at the end is that Mimi has been... Uh, talking with his lover Liz, who's this girl who's not a very good actor either. No, let's be honest. Uh, but she tells him that the mob bosses have been talking and they want to take Mimi down. And so Mimi and Jolly decide to head them off at the pass, as it were, and uh, go around with this huge rampage and basically take out all the mob bosses. And they kidnap Chucky's son and they kill him inside the van. We don't actually see them kill him but they deliver him to the uh to chucky's house and they sort of you know throw him out on the ground there and chucky comes out um with his uh there's another mob boss who's with him at the time and sees sees that his son has been killed and so now of course you know there's going to be some sort of war yeah except there actually isn't because (laughs) we don't actually see him do this so i don't quite know how it happened but I guess Mimi and Jolly together, or is it just Mimi? Because Jolly's dead, isn't he? I mean, you know, That's spoiler, right. Jolly gets killed by them at some point in a restaurant. I don't know why he would trust people, because everybody's out to kill them. Why would he sit in a restaurant on his own? It doesn't really make you know, a tremendous amount of sense. But anyway, Jolly gets killed. We then have Mimi, the, the uh, Chucky's son's funeral. He puts a bomb in there. <laughs> It's a, it's, a, it's a strange thing, isn't it? Because it's like... Just wipes them out. Just wipes... He wipes out everybody at the funeral, including <laughs> Chucky, the entire family, any of the mob bosses that are there. And it's a strange thing because a couple of minutes before that happened, there's a clock that's on, that's near the coffin. And I was thinking about that clock. I was like, why would there be a ticking clock there? And then another boss, you know, one guy asks... Uh, you know, well, why is there a clock there? And the other guy's saying, well, it's because, uh, you know, my, my son was delivered to me, his son was delivered to him at, at 20 past two or something. I'm thinking, this is bollocks, isn't it? Yeah. There's got to be a reason for this because the ticking is really loud, right? Like, tick, 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 and boom. And off it goes and everybody dies. So Mimi's taking care of his problems with a good bomb. Then he goes back to Sicily. And of course, it, like Tom was saying, we get this scene where he's talking to his father and explaining to his father what's going on in America. That there's really no place for people like you anymore. And then making the reference to the Godfather. Uh, incidentally, we didn't actually say it, but when the logo for this film comes up, they're using the Godfather typeface <laughs> for Massacre Mafia style. And we get sort of quite an interesting ending to this. 
where you know, Mimi meets back up with his son again, who's now 17 years of age, and his girlfriend is there, and he meets him. And I was thinking at this point, well, there's only about three minutes left to go in this. Are they going to say that Mimi has kind of gotten away with this? Mm. Did all these terrible things, but at the end of it, he's going to be sitting down with his family and, you know, having a nice Italian dinner and everything's going to be fine. And we sort of learn that, well, he learned his lesson. And as he's, old, you know, they've dyed his, his hair grey now. So we're, we're, you know, meant to believe that he's quite a bit older. Uh, maybe this is how the film is going to end with him having found peace to some degree. Even though I felt personally as a, as a, as a viewer that he perhaps should have had to atone for his sins. And then, Tom, what happens? <laughs> well, just to take us back a touch, you know, I think... Mimi's arc is that he goes out there to, you know, carve himself up a piece of the pie. He commits all these atrocities, and by the end of it, he seems to have come come round to the fact that, you know, this isn't any way to live. This is supposed to be his arc, that he comes back and he makes this long speech to his dad, and he's like, Pop... You know, you know, it's the black guys out there now. Here comes Every, the accent again. <laughs> you know, go, go on, go on. He's he's basically saying, you know, everyone's got their own hustle now. It's not us who do it anymore. Everyone's got their own thing going on, and uh, you know, he's like, "Pop, please stop." You know, you can't do this anymore. And then his dad's like, "Mimi." I will still do it, <laughs> you know. And he, Wait, just... Did he turn into Arnold's fortune? <laughs> no, Mimi, I will still do it. <laughs> <laughs> wow, he's... we're getting some real grade A comedy from Tom Elliott today. This is we need more of this. No, but but the, my point is that you can tell Duke Mitchell has been working up to this speech, you know. Yeah. This pop we can't do this anymore the world has changed and it's like every other fucker's been telling you this from day one but you mm. you've still done it and then it's all just cut dead by his dad who i think the moment was supposed to be his dad says no i'm gonna still do it because i'm you know still this great big guy you know and I, it's i know how to work it blah 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 and you know that was supposed to be quite an ominous moment but it's not because his dad's like me me I me 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 and um and then what happens is you know you see him gallivanting with his son for a bit you know and then they're all sat down having this nice Italian meal and you know Mimi's like ah but you know doing all these big Italian hand gestures and that and his son kills him am I right in that was it his actual son who killed him well I think what happens is. They bring out this huge long loaf of bread. <laughs> a a shotgun-sized loaf of bread. Yeah, a shotgun, a double-barreled shotgun-sized loaf of bread. And they cut off the end of it. Apparently this is a tradition with Italian families that they cut off the end of the loaf and they throw it to the to the elder, I suppose. I don't, you know, forgive me if I'm sounding ignorant. I don't know. I was born in Barnet. So I don't, you know, I don't really know anything about those uh, traditions. But <laughs> they cut the, you know, the end of the loaf off and they throw it to Don Mimi. And then Mimi, the younger Mimi, is there. And I guess his son picks up the loaf and there's a double barreled shotgun in there. Yeah. And he fires it at Mimi and kills him. Hmm. I thought it was, it was. I don't think it was done very well, really, because it's quite confusing. Like, it's not shot very well. It's not edited together very well, because what happens is, so they've shot Mimi, and it looks like almost everybody else who's seated at the table is quite surprised by this. 
And then you've just got Mimi's son standing there next to Don Mimi and they sort of look at each other. But at one point, Don Mimi sort of looks over at his dying son and sort of puts his fist in his mouth like, oh, God, oh, that was grisly, wasn't it? <laughs> but, then, but then he looks at he looks at the son like, yes, uh, looks at Mimi's son like, yes, it had to be done. So I think it was Mimi's son who killed him. Yeah. I think what this basically is, is I think Don Mimi realised that his son could not live anymore. He'd done all of these terrible things. Yeah. But I'm not sure that killing him while sat at a family dinner is really <laughs> where you want to do that. I mean, it could have been done in a slightly more respectful way, I think. I was going to say the same thing. You know, there's probably kids running around as well, bits of brain on them. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. It's like, you know, imagine if, if you and I were there and we're like, yeah, yeah, oh, Tom, yeah, this is nice, isn't it? We've been invited to this Italian family's dinner. I'm sitting there eating my spaghetti and all of a sudden somebody's ear pops up in it. <laughs> I look over and they're like, oh, Mimi's dead. What the you fuck? Know, <laughs> what the fuck is going on? I'm getting the hell out of here. Of course I'll take the plate with me. I'm a hungry lad. But uh, <laughs> I don't know. I thought it was, I've got to be honest, I had a bit of a smile when that happened. I think it was meant to be more impactful than it actually was because I just don't think it was done very well. But, you know, what we take away from it is that Mimi did not make it out of the film alive and I suppose he did atone for his sins, killed by the very people who he was supposed to trust. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, the the title, Like Father, Like Son, probably a bit of a giveaway if, if it had to been the title because there is this thing, you know, the sons are... And ultimately, Mimi's son uh, carries on this chain of violence as well by killing his own dad. So, again, very ham-fisted, but I think that's what they were going for. I do like the fact that Don Mimi does that thing where he does, like, he sort of bites on his fist, like, oh, did you see that, folks? I wonder who did that. Oh. Uh, <laughs> and it did make me laugh that they had a shotgun-sized loaf of bread, you know. <laughs> oh dear but yeah it's i have to say tom we're probably gonna have to close this one up now so we can move on but i have to say uh, this is one i would buy um and i think i will probably end up picking this up at some point um i'm going to tell you guys all about the uh the release information on this it's quite easy to get hold of uh I would watch this again i think i I would like to see the documentary about it as well I, i think i'm more fascinated and this film, I think, is, is an enjoyable, entertaining romp of a thing. It's very sloppy. I don't think it, it's very good, quote-unquote good, in, in in filmmaking terms. But I'm just quite fascinated with Duke Mitchell himself. I just think he's an interesting guy. I would like to learn more about him. And I sort of admire the ambition and the fact that he tried to make something, which, you know, two years after The Godfather, which is... You know, I don't know when The Godfather 2 was made. I would imagine it was sometime after this. I don't know the year that The Godfather 2 came out, now that I think about it. But you, you've got to think that even two years after The Godfather came out, that would have had to have been considered the sort of definitive look at this particular lifestyle. Yeah. So for him to sort of try and make something that is that channels some of the spirit of it to a certain degree, but is also, I think, much more of an exploitation film, instead of that sort of you know that drama that the godfather is um i I admire him for that it's not a great piece of work but i i walked away from it thinking you know what i had a good time with that and duke mitchell is is a a a decent actor and is very watchable very you know magnetic performer i think if not a great one 
And um, overall, yeah, it, it, it was a pleasant surprise to me, Massacre Mafia style. I, I, I really got more more out of it than I thought I would. Yeah, yeah. I, um, I'm i on the same page. I enjoyed it quite a bit. I would watch it again. I got the Blu-ray from Grindhouse release. And, and like you say, Duke Mitchell is quite a fascinating character. I want to know more about him. I'm going to probably get gone with the Pope as well because I've never seen that. And I'd like to see, you know, his next effort kind of thing. So I enjoyed it a lot. And it's interesting that this guy who, you know, was around in the 50s, he was a nightclub singer. There's some interesting stuff on the Blu-ray as well. A show he did, uh, it was a tribute to, I can't remember the name of the singer, but he plays this character. He puts this big nose on and he's sitting there belting out all these songs. So he he was a song and dance man, you know, he was a a, a performer so this this guy who was around in the, you know the classic age of Hollywood now turn into exploitation. We've seen it before with pigs, you know that classic actor who turns to, you know, um, violence and exploitation. It's an interesting thing. So, yeah, I enjoy it quite a bit. I'll definitely watch it again. Uh, let me give you some trivia then. It sort of touches on a few points that Tom brought up. Uh, director and lead actor Mitchell was perhaps most prevalent in the 50s when, according to IMDb, he had a comedy double act with Sammy Petrillo. The duo were supposed to be a take on Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis's double act, uh, both of whom were enormously popular at the time. He and Petrillo would star as themselves in uh, 1952's Bella Lugosi Meets a Brooklyn Gorilla, mm. which sounds very interesting. Well, just to interject, mm. that whole movie is an extra feature on that Blu-ray. Oh, lovely. Mm. Excellent. Because I was about to say I would like to see that. So, yeah, very interesting. Uh, Mitchell uses his given surname, his real life surname, Michelli, as the surname in this movie. His life and the stories he heard from friends in the 50s helped to inspire the story here. So he was obviously was very open about, you know, the fact that this was influenced to some degree by his life. So much so that he used his own real-life surname as the surname for his family in this. Mm. Uh, Mitchell apparently sold his lease on a supper club. I don't know what that is. Isn't that just a restaurant? I imagine so. <laughs> uh, Mitchell apparently sold his lease on a supper club in order to fund the production of this movie. You can tell he didn't have a lot of money to play with, really. Here, uh, Mitchell was in the midst of directing his second feature film, which Tom kind of brought up there, entitled Gone with the Pope, but unfortunately succumbed to lung cancer and passed away in 1981 at the age of 55. He was only a young guy, really. Uh, the film remained unfinished until 1995 when, Sta- uh, when Sage Stallone and Bob Morawski of uh, Grindhouse Releasing rediscovered it. Morawski Mar- spent 15 years restoring and finishing the film from the surviving elements, resulting in a fresh release of the film on Blu-ray and DVD just a few months ago. Uh, rather sadly, Sage Stallone, who is the son of the very famous Sylvester Stallone uh, and one of the co-founders of Grindhouse Releasing, passed away in 2012 from heart failure at the age of 36. I, I heard about that i actually had no idea until very recently that sage stallone was one of the co-founders of grindhouse releasing i i knew because i've been there kind of plugged into them from quite early on i remember buying a couple of their releases the first release of the beyond i got was from them Mm. and i think i actually emailed them on the website and said you know great release really liked it you know just some bullshit like that and i actually got an email from Bob Morawski himself, wow. you know, not just some fucking secretary or something. It was him, and I was like, "What a class act!" You know, he, this guy edited Raimi's Spider-Man movies. He's, you know, he's a proper Hollywood guy. Yeah, 
you know, Grindhouse releasing is just, uh, you know, his side venture, if you like. But what a class act to actually answer an email to, to me. Yeah, that's really cool. And also, we should say, we were always talking about Arrow and 88 films and, you know, Synapse and uh, and uh, Shameless and all these different companies. But we should talk about, you know, Grindhouse releasing and putting them in the in the same category as the others because they've released some great stuff. I mean, I've got a bunch of their things up on up on my shelf there. I'm just looking at them now. Like, I've got a, a good release of uh, Pieces, hmm. one of the, uh, the classic, awful Italian slasher movies. And... Uh, I've got a couple of other ones up on there. I've got a, uh, what is the movie that Lucio Fulci made? Cat in the Brain. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I'm looking forward to picking up, uh, you know, Musca Mafia style as well, and Gone with the Pope. So they've released some really good stuff at Grindhouse release, and you should check them out. Mm. Uh, now, this is a particular thrill for me. The last bit of trivia here. Legendary bit part player George Buckflower makes an appearance in this film as uh, Vince Bakari, one of the mobsters. He introduces himself to Mimi at the wedding um, when he's sort of flirting with Liz and is more or less told to go away. Now, Buckflower made over 150 appearances in every kind of film imaginable, from horror to softcore porn, exploitation to action films. Um, He would frequently appear as homeless characters. Now, Buck continued acting up until his death in 2004 at the age of 66. You may wonder... Who on earth is this? If you go on on Google and type in the name George Buckflower or Buckflower uh, and look at pictures of him on there, I I guarantee you will have seen him in something. Is he the um, is he the guy in Back to the Future who yes. the drunk and he looks at this bottle? Yep. Ah. Yep. That's him. He I cannot I cannot possibly count the amount of movies I've seen him in as just a, a, a bit part, almost a throwaway role. Uh, he's in Wishmaster. He's the drunkard in Wishmaster. There's like an exchange between him and somebody else. And it's like, um, I can't remember which one of them says it, but it's like, I wish you'd die and get cancer. Oh, yeah, well, you're a fucking prick. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he has this little exchange with this guy who owns a shop um I think it may be Reggie Bannister, actually, from uh, Phantasm, who has that conversation. But he's been in all sorts of stuff. He had over, like I say, over 150 appearances. And look him up on Google if you don't know the name. I, To be honest, I didn't know his name until I saw him in this. And I was like, that's that guy. I guarantee you, look up a picture of him. Any of you guys out there, you'll immediately go, oh, I've seen that guy somewhere. One of those actors, it, it's funny, you can have a long career and appear in so many things and and really be, you know, somebody who turns up for maybe 30 seconds, but has kind of made a career out of doing that. Mm. Uh, so very, very interesting guy. George Buckflower uh, only has a couple of lines in this and dies at the funeral. He's one of the guys who's blown up, but uh, very interesting to see him in there. Now, if you want to buy this, the film was re-released in a Blu-ray and DVD combo pack back in February under the title... Duke Mitchell's Massacre Mafia Style by Groundhouse Releasing. This release is completely region free. Uh, Gone with the Pope was released in March. It was finally completed and finished. Uh, is again region free with uh, Blu-ray and DVD discs together forming another combo pack. So you can get both of these. You can see Duke Mitchell's uh, work as a director. I would like to pick both of those up actually. I think uh, very, very interesting guy and it would be interesting to see if perhaps he'd, he'd maybe improved as a filmmaker a little bit. I know obviously he didn't get to finish the movie but it would be interesting to see what bits are in there that, that he works on that maybe perhaps there was a refinement to some degree. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'll be picking that one up too. All right, so that is Massacre Mafia style, and now we're going to travel back to our side of the pond for GBH. Chris, why don't you tell us about that one? 
It's time to explore some homegrown talent, Tom. Uh, yes, GBH, also known as Grievous Bodily Harm, uh, released in 1983, directed by David Kent Watson, and written by Cliff Twemlow. Now, remember that name, folks, if you don't already know it, because that name's going to come back to us time and time again. Now, uh, in honour of this movie, and in particular one character who's in it, I'm going to read the synopsis for this one like this, in this particular accent. <laughs> Oi, Tom, shut it. I'm going to read the synopsis for GBH. GBH follows resident Ardnut Steve Donovan, played by Cliff Ard Bastard Tremlow, a former bouncer who is released from prison after a six-month sentence. He was banged up, you see. He's known as the Manchunian, them Northerners, and has a reputation in the local area for standing up for gangsters. It just so happens there's a particularly nasty bunch hanging around town, led by Londoner Keller. <laughs> Donovan meets up with his friends Chris and Murray, and Murray offers him a place to stay and a job resuming his bouncer duties at Murray's nightclub. I'm only laughing because of the name Murray. It's funny. At the nightclub, Donovan has a run-in with Keller and his goons. It's clear that they disapprove of the tough guy protecting the club and enforcing rules. Donovan tries to prevent a young man and his date from coming in for free. And while he makes an enemy enemy, enemy enemy of the man, who later returns with a bunch of friends, hoping to debt Donovan, unsuccessfully, Donovan quickly makes a connection with the girl Tracy. They later sleep together and begin to talk. <laughs> Exploring each other's lives and backgrounds. In Donovan's world, however, peace never lasts. That's right. If you're a gangster, peace never lasts. What follows is a series of fistfights as Keller and his men grow increasingly more frustrated with Donovan. They know he's quick and tough, perhaps even too tough to take down. But still they try. It's when guns and car chases come into the mix that Donovan has to do more than simply punch a fucker in the face. He's gonna have to fight for his life, son. As the assault against him eats up via Keller and his group of determined gangsters look to take out the legendary Mancunian man. Here's a fucking clip, son. Get that in your lug holes. Tugs at the old heartstrings, eh? Yeah, I suppose it does. You know, Alex, this is my favourite time to become sentimental. Between darkness and light. You get to thinking. All the mistakes you've made. All the good time girls you've screwed. Uh, you begin to wonder what it's all about. The end of the evening. The last drink. Some girl singing her heart out through the speakers. You know, I reckon you and I are pretty special people. We work our asses off while the rest of the world play. I suppose that's the way it's always going to be. You know, we're mad. We hate it while we're here. We miss it when we're not here. Look, I gotta go. I've got a heavy day tomorrow. Tom, get your bleeding head out of your ass and tell me, what did you think of GBH? It was fucking shite. <laughs> 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 yes, yes. No, no. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll start by talking just briefly about uh, a podcast that we're both aware of called Adventures in VHS. Mm-hmm. And they did 
an excellent, well, he, the chap behind it, Noel, uh, did an excellent um, audio documentary about our lead, Cliff Twemlow. And I listened to that a while ago now, and he's quite a, a fascinating character, and I'd never seen GBH at that point. But I think listening to that before you watch the film really adds a layer to the film that I might not have got if I'd have just watched it on its own. Because having a bit of backstory about it, knowing a bit more about Cliff Twemlow and his achievements and what he did and what he was going for, um, really adds something to the movie. Now, let's face it, if we come at this with a critical eye, you could pick apart everything. You know, the editing, the filming, the acting, everything. Now I think I just get I get the impression that you're going to be a bit harsher on this one than I am, but mm. it's similar to ma- mafia, sorry, massacre mafia style in the sense that despite its flaws, I I still enjoy this this movie. It's nowhere I don't I wouldn't put it anywhere near as good as massacre mafia style, but they're both rough as fuck. They've both got a lead guy who is quite magnetic and holds things together. And, you know, overall, we'll get into the nitty-gritty of it. It's ropey in every respect, but it's just got an energy about it that I, I just liked. And uh, we'll go into the the good and the bad as we go. But that's my overall thoughts on it. Yeah, it's rubbish. I, I, have, to t- I have to raise a dispute with you on this one. I don't think that Cliff Tremlow is magnetic at all. I personally, I don't think he has any charisma whatsoever as an actor. I did, he just sort of mumbles everything in a very sort of unexcited way. I don't. I mean, I'll, I'll say that this is some of the least intimidating gangsters are in this. It's just, it's just a, a film about blokes. <laughs> it's just a film about blokes trying to be hard, and that's about it, really. Now, now let me say this: you talked about the the episode of Adventures. It, in VHS, uh, you mm-hmm. took away my trivia bit that I've got there, Tom, your cheeky bugger <laughs> about it. I actually watched this film first, and then I listened to about half of that episode uh, of Adventures in VHS where they explore the life of Cliff Tremlow. And I have to say that that having listened to that, it did change my opinion of the film somewhat. It perhaps in 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 somewhat in in the way that it did for you. Mm. I, I'm not going to be as as kind to. I di- I have to. I didn't enjoy it at all. I watched it after Massacre Mafia style, which I think is is mu- the much better film. I I get that. I don't know. I I get the feeling that people forgive this because they happen to to really admire Cliff Twemlow. Having listened to, like I say, about half of that episode and read some bits and pieces about him as well while I was putting together the the trivia and 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 notes for this, I think. It, I, I admire him greatly because he was so determined to be a movie star. <laughs> I'm trying to explain it in a way that doesn't sound like I'm, you know, sort of speaking badly about him because I admire what he did, you know, working as a composer. In fact, I might as well read the bit that we've got in the, in the trivia here just so we can kind of, you know, 
create somewhat of a balance here. Uh, let me read what I've written here. Cliff Tremolo was a bit of a force to be reckoned with back in the 80s. Uh, he worked as a bouncer for some time, but had also developed somewhat of a reputation as a composer of music. He released an autobiography entitled Tuxedo Warrior, Tales of a Mancunian Bouncer, which chronicled his career up to that point working in nightclubs, and then came into the movie industry as a stuntman. It was his love of cinema that inspired him to write and star in GBH, the first film in Britain that was ever shot on video. Uh, it was the shot-to-video format that would suit Tremlow's penchant, penchant for low-budget action films, many of which were directed by David Kent Watson, who, of course, also directed this. They worked together a lot. So it gives you a good background there in that he's a, he's a sort-of-the-earth working class guy who made the who had such a love of film that he himself wanted to work in film but i think we need to also take sort of take stock of what what the the movie scene was like at the time in britain and we're trying to sort of you know this is post hammer we much like extra really i suppose you could say and we're sort of trying to carve out our own little niche in there i admire the fact that he that he made these incredibly low budget films and believed himself to be a lead actor for me personally my admiration for him and his determination aside he's not Schwarzenegger is he you know he doesn't have I mean Schwarzenegger couldn't act for shit certainly early on um and still is not a great actor even now but that's a man who had magnetism and charisma and it poured off him and I find Cliff Twemlow to just look quite bored during this and is reciting lines that he's trying to remember in his head and I think I get the feeling that people you know we've got a bit of a feed we've got a bit of feedback that will be coming on later on where you know I won't say who it is who said this but you know th th this person is saying that you know you can't sort of judge this movie on all the things you normally would because it's Cliff Tremlow well why, why can't I judge the movie that way it's a movie doesn't matter who's in it you know, uh, why can't I judge a Tarantino film on its strengths and weaknesses just because it's Tarantino, you know, who is this much lauded director critically? So I, I feel it's the same thing here. Of course, I'm not I'm not trying to compare the quality of the man with somebody like Tarantino. I think Cliff Tremlow was a was a very down to earth guy, like I said, sort of the earth. I admire the guy greatly. Let's sort of look at the film itself. It's it's rubbish. It's it's <laughs> it's thrown together. It's super sloppy. It's cheesy. The least intimidating gangsters I've ever seen. The worst soundtrack for a gangster movie. The bloody tagline of the thing is more brutal than the Long Good Friday. Don't put the Long Good Friday on the front of the box. Not a good idea, guys. Because you're going to remind people of the Long Good Friday, which is a much better British gangster movie. I I walked away from it thinking, you know, that Cliff Tremlow is an interesting guy. I want to hear more about him because that people are always talking about. And I heard his name before, but uh, you're very silent over there, Tom. By the way, uh, I hope you're still there. No, I'm just letting you have your you say. It's fine. But looking at the film itself, I thought it was. I mean, it's short. Thankfully, I thought it was rubbish. It's there's a few bits. It's got. I'm talking about it like I hated it. But hating it implies that there's a that it implies hatred, and I don't, I, I don't hate it. There's some charm to it in its cheesiness, but it's not a good film, and I can't I can't pretend to you that I enjoyed watching it, and I also cannot pretend that I found Cliff Tremlow magnetic. You speak now. <laughs> 
you know, it's hard to rebuke that. Um, I did say that some of my appreciation of it, I think, possibly comes from just knowing a bit more about it. And I think I get the same kind of enjoyment in a way, and I'm not comparing it, but in the same way that when I read about the Evil Dead and it's like, it's a bunch of guys just getting together and, and making something. And with Evil Dead, they knocked it out of the park. With GBH, less so, you know, much less so. But I enjoy that aspect of it, that this is just a bunch of guys who, who are trying to do something. And I do think Twemlow has a certain amount of magnetism, not like Duke Mitchell at all. And I will admit that part of that probably does come from knowing about him from that audio documentary on uh, on the um, VHS podcast. Now, you know, we could go backwards and forwards about this all day. So uh, let's get into the film. And, mm-hmm. you know, because it, it starts out with some wonderful 80s dancing to the theme tune, <laughs> Man, 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 Mancunian Man. Mancunian Man, man yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, I mean, you said you thought the music was terrible. I... I'm not going to lie, I'm not going to buy Mancunian Man on, you know, CD and listen to that. Um, I thought the other sort of bit of the soundtrack was actually quite good in a in a cheesy 80s kind of way. I thought that was decent. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, Man, 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 Mancunian Man is a very, very odd choice of song. But, it, you know, it's, it's a Manchester film. It, I loved seeing the shots of Manchester. It's a city I know. Yeah. You know, we watch American films all the time. And I, I did live in New York for a while, but it's not the same thing. It's not the same as a film happening in a city that you know and you see the sights and you think, I know that place, even though it's a bit different now. So there's that enjoyable aspect to it. And I understand that I'm still not saying things about the film itself. It's more like I like the location and stuff like that. But it's just a, it's a difficult one to to talk about when every aspect of it is in isolation pretty bad. But the whole I found kind of enjoyable. So I, I am kind of struggling a bit. Well, I'll just say, as far as the soundtrack goes, you know, that sort of don't, 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 I don't mind all that. I like that. You know, I like my cheesy 80s soundtracks. It, But it was the fact that this is supposed to be about a bunch of hard bastards who are going to beat each other up. And there's a Londoner in there and he thought, oh, I'm going to take you down. I'm your bleeding so-and-so, ain't ya? But then they play this cheese, these cheesy 80s ballads over the top of it. All of this music has been written by Cliff Tremlow. So he's supposed to be a hard nut in there, but he's writing the soppiest music you've ever heard in your life. It it just it didn't convince me that what I'm watching is a bunch of hard bastards beating each other up, which is what it's it is supposed to be. Look, uh, the, the, the one thing I'll say about this before we sort of get into talking about the plot and stuff like that, because I look, I don't hate the movie. I'm just passionate. <laughs> um, it, it is that. For, for anybody who says, well, you, look, you can't judge it based on this, that, and it, you can't judge it like a normal film because Cliff Tremlow was in it. Review the movie. Don't review Cliff Tremlow. We talk about Cliff Tremlow. I'm not talking to you, Tom. I'm just talking in general. Review the movie. Concentrate on the movie. And then we talk about Cliff Tremlow separately from that. I know he's in it and he had a lot to do with it, but you if you're going to review a movie, you've got to look at the quality of the movie, surely. You can't review it and give it a better review just because Cliff Tremlow was in it. 
<laughs> Do you know what I mean? You know, it's it's. So I hear this sort of stuff, and it's like people forgive a bad movie because this bloke is in it and had something to do with it. I think the fact that he built a sort of, you know, I don't want to say empire because it's a very modest thing, but the fact that he sort of built this reputation for himself, I think, is is fantastic. And I want to see more Cliff Tremlow movies. Believe me, this is you know I didn't you know dislike this so much that I was like I never want to see this guy again. I'm very interested in this guy, but you've got to talk about the movie itself, otherwise. What's the point of it? You know, the, in that case, then, because you happen to, because I happen to fa favour John Carpenter, I can say, well, Ghost of Mars, well, it's not that great, is it? But John Carpenter made it, so therefore it's better than it would have been, you know. So that's my 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 point on, on, on that. I'll stop going off now. We can we can <laughs> talk about the actual movie itself. It is a modest thing. I mean, it look it, it looks like what it is, which was it was shot on somebody's camcorder. Yeah. Uh, so it it, has, it doesn't have a filmic quality to it at all. I don't think that helps. But at the same time, I, I sort of knew that going in, so it didn't bother me that much. You got this guy who comes out of prison. So we got Steve Donovan, who is known as the Mancunian. He, basically, he's known as a bit of a hard nut. He comes out of prison. Um, I think he had a girlfriend who he was supposed to move back in with, and he finds out that she's gone. She sold all her stuff, and she's off. Because he says at the beginning of the film, doesn't he? Oh, bleed, bleeding women. Uh, no wonder there are so many queers in the world or something like that. Which is yeah, like, mm, a bit unfortunate, yeah. I probably shouldn't have said that. Uh, I have to say, I don't know if you were with me on this, but there's another guy in there named Chris. who's like this blonde guy who works alongside Murray. They all work at the club together. I thought there was a bit of, there was a weird sexual tension between <laughs> he and... Did homoerotic. Yeah, yeah, it was, wasn't it? Like, there was one time where they go out jogging with each other. Like, you could just tell that they wanted to... You know, lay down with each other and experience the joys of love. Uh, I, I think just just on that point, it it's quite funny because it's it's in my notes, you know. And I think it's them trying to just play natural, natural mates, you know. Yeah. The banter and it, it's, you know, the the dialogue is is bad. Let's let's not make any bones about it. But they have this sort of thing backwards and forwards between them, and they're trying to duplicate the banter between friends, and it's like. You know, you know, if Cliff cops up with a girl, it's like, hey, save some for me, you bastard, you know, and, and yeah. Cliff are like, <laughs> you know, and it's just these cheesy sort of one liners. And he's like, hey, you bellend, fuck off, you know, and <laughs> well, he never say bellend, but, you know, it's just this really pseudo matey dialogue that's so cheesy, but quite amusing in a way. Yeah. And I sort of thought, you know, it would be like if it was you and me like out jogging. I was like, oh, Tom, you're a looking good today aren't you you know you're getting ready for the, we... getting ready for the ladies eh? like uh, <laughs> you know maybe you want to practice on me a bit like, oh, yeah. and then we roll around on the grass for a bit <laughs> yeah, roll around on the grass <laughs> and everything like it just, it's just probably not something that would actually happen so, but i found that quite funny you know there are bits mm. in this movie that that you have to admire the fact that there's some charm to it there's a lot of cheesiness in there i sort of like stuff like that so we, we, we go through this plot where but essentially there's this gangster named Killer. He's the only Londoner in the movie, as far as I'm aware. And he's very upset because Donovan's come onto the scene. I guess Keller believes that he can kind of bust his way into the club. And I mean, right, the very opening scene in the movie is actually Keller and his, his, uh, his goons. They go in and they kill a guy, don't they? Like they beat him up. Mm-hmm. And so we already know, well, these are the bad guys. And then Donovan comes along and he's going to be a good guy. It's quite interesting to me, like, it, that 
I mean, Cliff Tremolo wrote this, so he was able to write himself in as the ladies' man. Uh, I don't quite know if if I see why the ladies would be so into him, apart from him just being a bit, you know, being well-built and all the rest of it, and a bit muscly, but it, it, it's, a, it's a very basic plot, which is that, you know, Donovan is, the, is this sort of hero guy. Again, I didn't f- find him to be particularly charismatic at all, really. Because he delivers all these lines in a very monotone way. There's no, there's no emotion to anything. He doesn't reach for anything. It all sort of stays, you know. He's just, it's just monotone basically. I can't really find a better word than that. Uh, but he meets this girl named Tracy, who's this posh girl. Girls sleep with this guy very, very quickly. I mean, he's got the ability to get in there, whip the old wanger out, and he's in there. Uh, but the the problem is all the, I think all the love scenes in this movie they've got this horrible soft core porn music over the top of them. It it for me the film is called GBH. So I have to be honest before I sort of went into it, you know, sort of hearing bits and pieces about Cliff Tremblay, I'm thinking it's going to be like Scum with Ray Winston. We're going to go in there, all right, boys, let's duff them up. You know, I'm ready for that. I wanted to do my Cockney accent through the whole thing. But in GBH, it, it's. It's one of the lamest gangster movies I've seen. It is soft. It's soft. There's nothing apart from the fighting scenes, which are you know reasonably okay. You know, sort of done done decently because that's what Cliff Tremlow is very good at. I would say arguably more so than acting is that he was a stunt man, so he can you know throw himself about a bit and throw a good few punches. <sighs> lame, 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 lame. I've really found it to be a very soft touch, and. Some of the least intimidating blokes in the world. It's a very blokey movie. It's just blokes hitting each other. And then some soft ballady 80s music plays over the top of it. Look, the the, <laughs> the character of Donovan is... He is... You can see they're trying to um, emulate the kind of American uh, hero in a way. Mm. You know, it's very grounded in Manchester. He's a Manchester guy. He's not... Um, I think he was from Salford. He's not really hiding that, but at the same time, he's got this pseudo-American action hero thing, maybe a touch of Bond as well, where the girls fall at his feet. You know, he can force himself on anyone. And, you know, he, he speaks in these these sort of uh, pseudo-one-liners, which from much better actors, and America at the time sounded cheesy as fuck as well, but when it's in this really low-budget film with ropier acting, uh, you know, it it does come across as shit. Again, I found it quite charming, but I mean, I'll give you an example of some of the dialogue. I wrote this down because it was I thought it was quite funny. He's in bed with the girl. I can't remember her name. Was it Tracy who who he ends up being with throughout the movie mm-hmm. and uh, he says you married and she says I was once but he died in a plane crash <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and he says how long ago and she's like about six months and he says nobody lives forever do they <laughs> it's like what a fucking insensitive thing to say to this girl <laughs> husband's died in a plane crash you know and another bit is, um, you know, Cliff comes into the club where he's going to be working and he, he's with the owner and everything. And the owner's like, come and have a drink, you know, two brandies, please. And uh, he goes to um, Donovan 
do you still drink it with Coke? And he says, what else? You know, <laughs> it's like, why, why are you saying that? You're just getting a drink, you know what I mean? You don't have to come out with these pseudo sort of macho one-liners all the way. But it's part of the charm for me, you know, and I'm not giving it a pass because it's Cliff Twemlow. I, I agree that, it, and I've already said, in every respect in isolation, it's ropey, it's badly done, you know, but it is what it is. And again, there's a message that I think Twemlow is trying to get across through Donovan in that, you know, you are what you are kind of thing. Sometimes yeah. you become something and much as you hate it, you can't fight that. And again, it's ham-fisted. You can't, it doesn't really come across particularly well. Sometimes he has to say that in order for you to know what he's about because he's not particularly portraying it as an actor very well you know he he makes a speech at the bar once where he's sitting having a drink and he says you know we're mad us we hate it when we're here but we miss it when we're not here and I can identify with that in some respects for, for things mm-hmm. you know jobs I've done um, but so again you know th- he's trying to get a message out there but he's not particularly skilled enough to to do it very well well it's there's a similarity here with a massacre mafia style in that there is some authenticity to this because like we said he was a bouncer Mm -hmm. he'd he'd seen that you know the manchester nightclub scene he'd been there he'd witnessed he undoubtedly had probably gotten into fights had to deal with rowdy blokes and rowdy women and so he's bringing that authenticity to this and i think you can tell Uh, but I think particularly if you know about him beforehand, but I think even I could kind of tell that, yeah, this guy is, you know, he he knows his onions. Uh, so I'm, I'm not going to say that, that he doesn't. I just think you've, I think I'm looking at it as a movie and, and look, you've anybody out there is free to tell me or to bring it up to me. If there's been a time on when doing this show where I've, not looked at something as a movie and favoured it just because it happens to be made by or starring uh, somebody who I happen to like a lot. I don't think I've done that. But if I have, then please, you know, feel free to bring it up to me. I'm trying to look at it as a movie and sort of take Cliff Tremlow out of it a little bit. Of course, look at his performance across the thing. He's not a good actor, but he's trying. And I always say people who try and are determined to do things, I do have respect for. Even Jess Franco, who, whose work I can't stand most of the time, he made a lot of movies and supposedly quite efficiently in terms of budget and time and things like that. You've got to admire that, even though the work itself is, is not that great. And so I, I admire him for it. I think this film, it, in, a, in a strange way, it's hard, it's hard to imagine anybody else being the lead actor in it. Because it feels very much like Cliff Tremlow's work. that He put his sort of heart and soul into this and it breathes because of him. Uh, but as an actor and as a writer, I, I don't think it's there. I think there's some really bad stuff in it. Bad writing, bad music, bad acting. I will say the film perks up a bit towards the end when the, there's a lot of fist fights that go on because Keller's, you know, is is incredibly hot-tempered guy. He's getting fed up with Donovan, wants him dead, and there are car chases, and they chase him into the into the woods, and he's sort of running around there and killing people. And you have this feeling that... that Steve Donovan is not going to make it out of this at the end of it. So it you know, it perks up. There are bits and pieces in there. I cannot pretend that I would sit and watch this again. I just don't know. 
Yeah, I mean, it's quite difficult to get hold of, first of all. So even if you happen to like the movie from the copy that we saw, you know, you can't just sort of go out to a shop and order it. I just don't know that I would watch this again. I don't know what it gave me, really. The, well, I'll, I'll tell you what it gave me, actually. It gave me Cliff Twemlow. And he's an interesting man who I want to see more of, I want to read more about and hear more about. I want to finish that podcast episode. And I would like to see some of the other work he's done. But looking at it as a movie, certainly compared to Massacre Mafia's star, I think this is kind of one of the worst movies we've covered so far on this. I really do. I I would disagree with that. Uh, purely for the fact of I didn't want to die watching it. Um, <laughs> and, you know, Erotic Rites of Frankenstein, that fucking zombie oasis or whatever it was called, I was just like, oh, my God, this is terrible. Yeah. Where there was things I could latch on to with this. And, you know, the, the nightclub, it reminds me of, I don't know what it's like, where everyone else lives but in Liverpool you've got your city centre nightclubs and then I'm not so much sure it happens so much these days but then you will have the more uh, ones out in the suburbs you know and there'll be like a nightclub next to a news agent or something like that yeah. and it's small and it's cheesy and it's ropey and you don't want to go there because it's just full of shit <laughs> and <laughs> you know dodgy people and I don't know whether they exist anymore, but they existed when I was younger. And it, it sort of reminded me of that. And that might be just because of the way it was shot. You know, it's pro it is a city centre nightclub, I think, and a real nightclub where they set it. Um, so, you know, I had a slight bit of nostalgia for that. And, you know, back to Cliff Twemlow. And much as we've tried not to, it always comes back to him. I think in the ideal world, he probably would have gone into the game a bit younger. If if he wasn't 50 at this point, he was touching 50. Um, he was still in great shape. Mm -hmm. He could fight. You could tell he had some fighting skill. Definitely. Um, and I think in the ideal world, he probably would have got into the game a bit younger, honed his craft, but he jumped on an opportunity to do this stuff while he was about 50 years old now when you listen to that podcast adventures in vhs you will hear and i will put a link in the notes for anyone who who wants to check it out and i recommend you do you will hear um the trailer for gbh2 and he gives a voiceover and you can tell that he's a he's more self-assured there's a quality to his delivery that isn't here in this one mm -hmm. um so like you I probably wouldn't watch this one again. I think from an academic point of view, it's been it's an interesting watch, and I didn't hate it. I I enjoyed it. It had a certain, you know, energy to it that mainly came from good on you lads for having a go, you know, and making this movie. And so I'm interested to see how far he goes in honing his craft. Unfortunately, you know, he was older, but apparently, his physique he actually. Uh, became bigger and musclier as time goes on and he, he died at the age of 60 and um, that's quite sad but anyway that's in adventures in VHS as well but I'm rambling now I, I don't think there's much more to say on the film to be honest but I don't usually go for a lot of British gangster movies there's I like some of them but there's an element of them it, well it's more the yob porn kind of 
movies, the the sort of football hooligan ones that I just really find distasteful. Mm-hmm. And some people might say to me, you know, you're a horror guy, you you shouldn't judge a genre like that the way your genre has been judged. Fair point, but I find a lot of them to be quite glorifying of sort of the yob element and I've seen people discussing them and ah fucking brilliant that film see where you know he fucking you know just reveling in yobbishness which is just so distasteful to me but anyway that's another story but this is you know it's a product of its time it on an in an academic sense it was interesting I enjoyed it I wouldn't watch it again but uh, there you go well I will say that most people never want to hear anything negative about the things they like mm. that's just the reality of it you know there's somebody that we know quite well that that's uh, on twitter who's dealing with trolls at the moment trolling his writing i won't say who it is because i don't want to sort of bring you know any negative attention towards what's happening in that situation but uh somebody who's been sort of talking to me privately about some of the trolls that are just trolling a review he did of a particular movie and some people don't want to hear something negative about the things they like they just they want everybody to love what they love and it, you know maybe in an ideal world that would be a nice thing to be able to but, but then it it wouldn't be a balanced world would it if we all just happen to love everything mm. so I, I i think it's it's just one of those things where for me personally i'm trying to look at, at the movie as it is it's very difficult not to bring it back to cliff twemlow because really he is you know, he he's one of the people who is who is helping to to put this thing together. He's written it. He's written it. He's starring in it, of course. I think he he is not very good in it at all. But you cannot not admire the man. You can't admire these guys for, like you said, having a go at it, trying to do something, trying to make movies. At the end of the day, if you want to be a filmmaker, you have to make stuff. And I admire people who just, you know, they pull out the camera. It's now, now it's easier than it's ever been to, to you know, buy a video camera, uh, uh, buy some sort of camcorder and everything gets committed to an SD card it, it, and upload. And you can even upload it to YouTube fr- from the camera itself. So we live in a, in a world where it's, it's the easiest it's ever been to make a movie. So I, I admire people who do that. My thing is, look, look. They're gonna. They're probably gonna be quite a few people who listen to this who cannot stand me anymore because of the things I've said about this movie. But I, just, I have to be honest about it. Like, I can't. I can't give this a more positive review just because Cliff Twemlow is in it, and the whole thing is part of the Manx exploitation thing that he was a big part of. That's a great thing. I really want to learn more about it. I love hearing about things like that. But that that doesn't mean that i should then shy away from criticism of the movie itself because it's a it's a really bad movie and it's not for me personally even though it's of course it's a completely different genre a bad movie like pieces which is a it's a piece of shit but i for me personally and of course i can only speak for myself when i'm reviewing something and you hope that you you know here here i am rambling i you know, I can only really speak for myself. You hope that you find something in common with other people. I hope that I find something in common with you when I'm reviewing these things. I can only really speak for myself when I say that a movie like Pieces, which is a piece of crap, but I personally find it very entertaining and I've, there are things in it I can forgive versus this, which I found to be just a piece of crap and I didn't really find it entertaining. I was quite bored through it until really until the end of it and I didn't find... Cliff Tremlow, a particularly magnetic presence. So all of these things go into it. It, it is 
it's not a movie I, I hated. It's not a movie I would ever watch again. What it gave me really was this interesting figure of Cliff Tremlow, who I do want to read more about and, and learn more about and finish listening to that episode. So in that respect, it, it was it was successful and it got me interested in, in, in the the lead star who's in this. But as a movie, didn't dig it, didn't like it. I thought it was a lame gangster movie. There are much better British gangster movies than this. I know they're trying, but there's a lot better than this. In fact, they put, and I think it was a mistake to have done it by saying it's more brutal than The Long Good Friday. The Long Good Friday is a much better movie than this. It, it just is. It just yeah, that, is. That's that's just salesmanship, though, isn't it? That's what they do. You know, I, I get your point that, you know, why put a much better film on the cover? But if you pick that up and, you know, because they've said, ooh, more brutal than The Long Good Friday, I'll have a look at that and you rent it then they've sold it, no matter what you think of it afterwards. That wasn't as good as The Long Good Friday. You know, they've yeah. already made the sales, so I can see why they do stuff like that. Yeah, and no, I can't disagree with that. Yeah, look, what what, what more can I say? It, it it wasn't for me. though. I did, there's some charming bits to it, and I admire bits of it, and the, and the tenacity in trying, but I ain't going to forgive it just because Cliff Tremlow is in it. And that's the, that is, it seems to be the general feeling that I get from people is that I'm supposed to love it because it because it's got something to do with Cliff Tremlow well so what <laughs> yeah like I say admire Cliff Tremlow tremendously but that doesn't mean that doesn't make it a good movie just because he was part of it okay I don't think we've got any more to say on it um no it's I don't know I don't only go into a, another monologue about it so I won't but I, I've got goodwill towards this i will say that i've got a lot of goodwill for it i think their tongue is in their cheek to a degree as well i don't think they're taking themselves a hundred percent seriously no so should we move on yeah well i've just got some trivia that i'll quickly read for you uh, like you say tremlo sadly passed away in 1993 from heart failure at the age of 60 he had starred in 11 movies throughout his acting career uh, so yeah he was 50 when he made this movie so he did get into it very very late i almost wonder if he'd gotten in when he was a lot younger, he would have become a more refined actor, like you say, mm. as he'd gone along. Uh, several actors here would go on to have decently successful careers on television, including Anthony Schaefer, who plays Murray, who I thought actually the, the Anthony Schaefer as Murray, I thought was, was probably the most assured actor on this. I thought was his delivery was good and he seemed like he was experienced and he knew what he was doing. Um, I, I don't know how you feel about that, but I, I certainly I felt he was he was quite you, you could tell that he was somewhat experienced. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jane Cunliffe as well, who played Tracy, has been in a number of different TV productions, things like that on, on British TV. Uh, the film was followed by a sequel, as Tom mentioned, entitled GBH 2 Lethal Impact in 1991, with Cliff returning as Donovan and Jerry Harris also returning as Keller. According to IMDb, the GBH portion of the title had to be removed due to Channel 4 airing a TV miniseries entitled GBH at the same time. Thus, the film became known uh, simply as Lethal Impact. I wonder how that would have worked, Tom, because we uh, are we to assume that there be they're, they're characters with the same names, but they're not the same people. Or from from what I know, and it, it is very little. It, well, it's it's from the Adventures in VHS podcast. It it is a sequel in that they are playing the same characters, but apparently they play down various aspects of it. It's 
it's a slight reinvention right. in a way, uh, but but they are playing the same characters. Uh, GBH is extremely difficult to get hold of. Uh, in fact, this is one of the hardest ones we've had to track down for this show so far. The film was seemingly never released on DVD, and any VHS copies of it, if they are available somewhere, seem to be uh, scarce, difficult to get hold of. Uh, Tom, you did something in order to make this more readily available for people so why don't you tell the listeners about that if they uh, do want to see it yeah it's uh, it's on youtube and it was on youtube in like 11 pieces and i think someone must have put it on there years ago when you could only upload short segments to youtube so what i did is i spliced them together not with much care and attention that so there is some overlap on the scenes mm-hmm. um and the whole thing is there now on youtube in its entirety on uh, the Jetman's Grand House Records YouTube page. So it's there for you to watch it if you want to check it out. I, um, I, you know, I don't advocate piracy, but there's really, you know, I haven't even seen VHS copies of this for sale. Mm. It's just so rare that it was like, well, what what else can we do? And, and I will say that, you know, I'm not going to leave it up there indefinitely. So, you know everyone's got their own views on these things i'm not going to leave it up there forever but while this episode is still quite fresh if anyone wants to watch it then it's going to be there and that is the end of our reviews i think people are going to hate me for this one tom i think they if noel from adventures in vhs listens to this i think he's going to be uh not feeling too favorable not feeling too favorable towards me what can i do i can only be honest no, no, he's a good guy. Yeah, I'm sure he'll feel fine about it. But I know, I know what you're saying. You know, when it's in a way, it's like saying someone, you know, saying Bruce Campbell's shit or something like that. You know what I mean? Um, and everyone goes, "What you can't say about that Bruce about Bruce Campbell?" But let's face it, in Evil Dead One, he wasn't a great actor. No, he had his moments, but he wasn't a great actor. But you know, his his cult sort of grew from there. But what can you say? You know, you can only be honest. Look, you can only be honest. At the end of the day, you can't you can't be made to be afraid of criticising something just because a load of people happen to like it. You know, mm-hmm. that's the the end of it. And I've never been that way. I'm not going to sit and be afraid because somebody tells me I can't I can't criticise something because it's got Cliff Tremlow in it. You know, it just is or anything else for that matter. It just is the way it is. You've got to be brave. You can't, you know, <laughs> you know, you can't cur- curtail to. The demands of certain people. Now, that said, let, let me just say, and we'll end this here, I still respect the man very much and I admire him. So, you know, don't think that I'm being hateful towards him. But, uh, you know, movie, not for me. Anyway, guys. What, what I will say, though, is uh, if if anyone wants to cut us together like a sizzle reel of the amount of times you've said, I'm not going to like it just because Cliff Twemlow's in it. Yeah. <laughs> Send us that way. It'd be, Definitely. It'd be funny. Do it. I'll give you another one. I'm not going to like it just because Cliff Twemlow's in it. <laughs> hey, Cliff Twemlow, I'm not going to like this movie just because Cliff Twemlow's in it. Cliff Twemlow. <laughs> okay. Cliff Twemlow. Right. I think it's time for some feedback. Let's do it. file of course from our friend Chris Brown who's not going to be very happy listening to this episode uh, I think based on uh, some of the feedback he's left us Chris Brown let's hear from you and hear what you have to say about Cliff Trumlow 
Hi chaps, it's uh, Chris Brown here. Just saying hello really and to say uh, thank you for uh, getting hold of a copy of GBH. Um, Cliff Tremlow is a fascinating character for me. He's one of one of these hard men who uh, are obsessed with creating this kind of legacy for themselves in the medium that they choose. You know, like these um, these the big boom in books of uh, hard men telling their stories about being on the streets, you know, the violence on the streets, that kind of boomed a few, like about 10 years ago now. Um, I mean, I love how amateurish it is. And I really like how VHS at this point could kind of generally create bedroom filmmakers for really the first time. The complete, there's, there's a lot more removal of things like processing labs and you know need for a professional editor and instead what we have is um somebody with a couple of tape decks and a bit of time on their hands and as such there is beautiful color bleed absolutely god awful credit sequences and um maybe one or two shots which would you class as classic cinema like a tracking shot he breaks so many rules in terms of direction in this film which i, I just find absolutely hilarious and then of course there's the un the unintentional comedy of him being you know this um this suave debonair character but deeply unlikable he's the kind of man that would thrust himself on a barmaid in the middle of the start of the night and then get upset the fact that he uh, he goes home alone at the end of it so you know and obviously that thrustingness is to prove what a virile man he is in some kind of almost neanderthal way so it's entertaining, um, it's funny, um, it's utter garbage, and it does the commits the cardinal sin of all narrative where it doesn't know how to end it, so it's so it uh, it kills a character to finish the story. Is it worth watching? Of course, it's worth watching. It's Cliff Tremlow. The man is a legend in Manchester. He's absolutely ridiculous. Um, but at the same time, yeah, I mean, you know, if you're going to judge it on anything traditional, like concepts of of good uh, screenwriting of of well crafted direction or even decent editing or acting or lighting or scene setting then it does fall apart a little bit but as someone who only a few weeks ago showed plan 9 from outer space there's still enjoyment to be had in the people who the charismatic types who can get enough people around them together to produce these little magnum opuses. Anyway, thanks very much. Uh, really enjoying the show still. Uh, glad I can contribute. Uh, hope you enjoy them. Take care. Speak to you soon. Bye. Okay, good stuff there, Chris. He never got round to uh, Massacre Mafia style in time, but no. I know he got a copy of it. So by all means, mate, if you want to put your two pence worth in about it next time you can do that and that goes for anyone you know you can always comment on films we've done in the past if you're only just joining us on the podcast we're happy for you to do that yeah i um, get the feeling that chris would probably enjoy massacre and mafia star i think he will too i think he will too because he he's a fan of gbh now he he, he kind of has a an opinion of it which again comes back a lot to cliff twemlow Mm-hmm. We won't we won't flog that horse. We've sort of <laughs> flogged it to death now. But um, but Tom, I don't like this film, but I like Cliff Tremlow. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, he mentions he'd done a screening of Plan Nine from Outer Space, and mm-hmm. 
in a way that kind of illustrates a point i think because it, it's a it's a so bad it's good kind of film um and you know you you can't judge every part of that film and it's shit but it's it's a favorite of people so there's the sort of parallels there but i think we've went over that so we we won't really go into it again um but tom that film that... wasn't that great but i tell you what that cliff tremlow was all right wasn't he <laughs> You've redeemed yourself. <laughs> uh, now, Chris has also left us a little bit of information here. Some of it we can't read, but he's got here. Of course, uh, why don't you explain this, Tom? Because you know a little bit, a little bit more than me. You know the sort of finer details of these screenings that Chris has been doing, and he's got two films that are coming up. Uh, one at the end of this month, July. We're recording this on the first of July, and the the second one is uh, in August. Why don't you t- sort of tell people about those screenings and the the two films that he's got coming up? Yeah, he's got uh, Enter the Dragon on July 30th and uh, also Videodrome in August. Now, what uh, we've mentioned it before. He sort of curates a, a night at a community cinema in Liverpool called The Small Cinema. It's on Victoria Street and it is a, a small cinema. It's very intimate. I don't know how many people it can fit in. It's probably less than 100, but it's, it's a good night. He, he gets up and he introduces the film and, you know has a bit of a laugh with it and you know he, he's become quite a, a very uh, good um presenter in that respect he's becoming a bit of an old hand at it now. he's like a flame-haired wizard isn't he yeah <laughs> but uh, you know if anyone can make it then come along i i've only been to one so far purely because i couldn't get out of work for the others but i will be there on a semi-regular basis as well so if there are any listeners make yourselves known because i'd love to meet you yeah if you want to go there and say hi tom that bloody Chris. I just listened to that episode and he didn't like GBH, did he? But he liked Cliff Temlow. Temlow? <laughs> I can't even say his name properly anymore. Uh, now, I, I should just say quickly, Tom, Enter the Dragon on July 30th is one of my favourite movies of all time. I also love Videodrome, but Enter the Dragon in particular, I absolutely love. So you guys who are going there for that, go. Go and see it on the big screen because I never have. And... Uh, it is a treat. One of the best kung fu movies ever made and a real example of, of the... Uh... Now, you want to talk about magnetism as a performer, go and watch Bruce Lee in Enter the Dragon. And you, it will, if you've never seen it before, you're mad, but it will change your life. And Videodrome as well. August 27th, he's showing that one. A great movie as well. Real mind-bender and uh, one of Cronenberg's best. So, uh, yeah. And he's got some more stuff coming up later in the year, and we'll, uh, you know, we'll let you know when we can, when we're allowed to say, you know, give a, give Chris a bit of a push because I think he's doing a damn, a damn good thing. All right. Now we've had a, an email from our friend um, Rob Maloha. So, aloha to Rob Maloha. <laughs> oh <laughs> no! No, I'm not cutting <laughs> it out. I'm staying in, mate. And uh, he's probably had that all his life, and we've just brought that Aloha, Aloha. <laughs> grief. No, I've embarrassed myself enough in this episode. I've got to leave one in for you. Okay. Now, the thing is, he, he should run our Twitter feed, to be honest, because he, he puts out, every time we do an episode, he puts out a, uh, a sort of little summary of it, mm. like what the BBFC have done with it and stills from it and stuff like that, which I always try and retweet because they're really cool. So, uh, anyway... Sorry, Rob. Um, He says, All right, chaps, really enjoyed your last show. I'm now doing my best to watch along with Chris and Tom, which is helping me through my video nasty odyssey. 
as we mentioned last time I'm working through the 154 films that make up the original video nasties and the section 3 lists in no particular order I'm only 42 films in so there's still a long way to go I tweet about each film and any other films I watch particularly focusing on the BBC BBFC censorship surrounding them there you go can I just interject quickly Tom mm. um, he said there uh, there's still a long way to go so I just want to say such a long way to go Michael McDonald you remember that song no but <laughs> I'll take your word for it carry on um we're just both embarrassing ourselves like bastards. <laughs> I'm <actually>. not embarrassed. <laughs> the old yacht rock from the 70s and 80s, yeah. Okay. Uh, he says, on the last show, you were wondering about the UK release of Hell Prison. The BBFC banned it from a cinema release in 1980 under the Escape from Hell title, but it was released on pre-saved video in 1982 and subsequently added to the Section 3 video nasty list see i thought that must be the case because mm. in order to get on it it would need to come out um the melon farmers censorship watch website states that it was resubmitted to the bbfc in 1988 and required three minutes and 46 seconds of cuts for the video release but i've not been able to find any further information about that release from the bbfc or anywhere else now he says what a great pair of gangster films this week I'd seen Massacre Mafia style before, but hadn't realised it was on the nasties list as it's down as The Executioner. GBH was completely new to me and a pleasant surprise. Both films are low-budget labours of love from people who have lived at least on the fringes of these gangster worlds. Uh, Massacre Mafia style is a stylish, if often poorly acted film, and oozes with Duke Mitchell charm. Made by anyone else, it just wouldn't have worked. Good point. But Mitchell's love and devotion to the film holds it all together and delivers a great personal challenge to the Godfather. According to interviews with his son Jeffrey, Duke saw himself as a bit of a gangster, always carrying a gun, huh? mm. and quick to solve problems with a punch-up. Apparently many of the killings and beatings in the film were based on real events, including the opening where Mimi and Jolly, surely the basis for Vincent Vega and Jules Winfield in Pulp Fiction electrocuted the bloke in the urinal, which was something that Duke Mitchell was rumoured to have done to someone. Wow. I thoroughly enjoyed this and the follow-up Gone with the Pope, and I'm sure to watch both of them many times more. I didn't expect much from GBH, especially after the first couple of terrible scenes of people dancing in the nightclub, but in the end I was won over by its homemade charms. Again, I think this was mainly thanks to the star, producer, writer and stuntman, Cliff Twemlow. Oh, really? <laughs> it wasn't a very good movie, was it? But Cliff Twemlow's all right. Who also wrote the music and actually was a bouncer. Who? Cliff he... Tremlow? <laughs> he was a bouncer. He really carries the film and is great in the action sequences. He is. It, it may be cheaply shot on video, often feeling more like an 80s episode of The Bill, maybe even Julia Bravo, but it had something that I found irresistible. I'm now on the lookout for some of the other Twemlow exploitation films, such as Moonstalker, Eye of Satan, uh, The Ibiza Connection, and even GBH2, Lethal Impact. The important question is, though, who'd win a fight, Mimi Michelli or Steve Donovan? I think the jury's out. Well, I think Donovan, had, sorry, until next time, cheers, Rob, at Rob's Lib. Thanks for that, Rob. Uh, I think on the ground floor, face to face, Donovan would kick his ass. 
but if it was a long war, then Mimi would win. Yeah, I think in a fist fight, I don't think there's any competition. I think Steve Donovan would have him, son. But yeah. I think Mimi Michelli would probably have shot him long before he got a chance <laughs> to throw a punch. So, yeah. Well, that's it. If if it was Mimi trying to take over the nightclub, he'd probably have done it. Yeah. That, that could, do you know what? Now I kind of wish there was a crossover film with the two of them where Mimi <laughs> decides he's had enough of Sicily. He, he managed to live at the end of the movie. He's had enough of Sicily and he comes to Manchester. He flies over to Manchester and uh, that was a good accent. And uh, he comes into the club and he tries to take over from Donovan. That'd be brilliant. That'd, that'd be glorious. Imagine, but in the end, they decide it's going to be a bit like, if you think about it, it would have been the prototype Batman versus Superman, where mm. they decide to work together in the end. They're like, they, first they have a fight and they're like, no, 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 no. There are bad people here. Let's work together. And then the old Italian lady will come in at the end and say, me, me. <laughs> <laughs> you did good. I tell you what, Tom, your accent work in this is grade A. Thank you. Grade A material. So that's it. That's the end of the feedback. That's the end of this show. Uh, one of the <laughs> one of the livelier episodes that we've had for some time. Now, of course, you're going to want to contact us. You probably want to contact me, some of you Cliff Tremlow fans out there, to give me a damn good verbal Roger in. If you want to do that, you can find me at twitter.com forward slash the gore boy. I'm also on Instagram, instagram.com forward slash the Chris clayton i post mainly just stuff up you know if i've received blu-rays or products or different things i usually post pictures of them in a nerdy fashion uh tom where can they find you um at grindhouse tom on twitter we also have a facebook page gentleman's grindhouse records facebook page so come and join us on that um and we've got our twitter feed for this podcast especially called strange deadly yeah, no and in the middle, just strange, deadly, and that is usually manned by mostly by Tom. I pop a comment in there now and again, but it's mostly him. And of course, there's the website, gentlemansgrindhouserecords.com. Don't forget, if you have happened to have found this podcast just lying around somewhere, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, various podcatchers. Just type the Strange and Deadly Show in there. That's all you need to do, and you're going to find myself. And Tom, I'm going. I'm I'm losing myself into the Cockney accent a bit today because I'm I'm feeling like a hard bastard, mm. even though I'm actually a soft nerd. Uh, so that's it, folks. Uh, oh, by the way, I should just say, please leave us a review on iTunes if you get some time, or just a rating. They really do help us a lot. Leave a little review, or just hit the star button, star the uh, podcast, and the more you do that, the more popular the podcast becomes. The more it's known. And uh, it really does help us. So if you would do that, we'd really appreciate it. Tom, we have a different theme on the next episode. Of course, we're heading back into horror territory. Of course, this is what we know best. It's been a nice, I have to say, been a nice uh, change of pace, in particular in this episode, to look at some uh, gangster movies, some crime films. But we're heading back to what we know best. What is the theme of the next episode? It's going to be an interesting one. There's two movies, and they are called... The Evil and The Nesting. So there's a couple of themes going on here. There's two movies that begin with the, and also they're kind of both supernatural. I think they're kind of supernatural stroke haunted house movies, which is a very popular genre today, uh, you know, with mo movies like uh, Insidious and stuff like that. 
So I've actually seen the nesting. Blue Underground have released that one on Blu-ray, so that should be quite easy to get hold of. The mm -hmm. Evil, I know nothing about, so as soon as we uh, go off the air, I think it's going to be a frantic hunt to try and track down that movie. Yeah, uh, I've never seen either of them, so and I don't know anything about them. So it will be a very interesting experience for me in particular, seeing them both. But also the evil sort of sounds quite interesting. So, uh, well, they both sound interesting. So, yeah, it's going to be a haunted house slash supernatural theme on the next episode of The Strange and Deadly Show. We're heading back to horror, folks. I think after this episode, the one after it, which will be episode 15, I guess, we're, we're, we're actually going to cover some films that I'm, I'm not positive about this by the way because i haven't looked at the schedule but i think we're going to cover some films everybody actually knows uh but uh so you can look at the schedule yourself actually on gentlemansgrindhouserecords.com just click on the uh, podcast section look at the index and you'll see all of our episodes to come uh but yeah i think we're going to be heading back into you know somewhat more well-known territory after this we've been covering some obscure stuff lately i have to say but uh you can look forward to our Haunted House Supernatural special on the next episode of The Strange and Deadly Show. Until then, I have been Chris Clayton. And I'm Tom Elliott. And thank you very much for listening. Thanks for listening to all my rambling in this episode. I can't wait to hear what you all think. And of course, Tom's <laughs> excellent, excellent accents and comedic bits. But you didn't think he had it in him because you always listen to the Twilight Zone podcast and you think, my goodness, he's a very relaxed young man, isn't he? But actually, no, he knows how to get fired up. <laughs> he knows what he's doing, that boy. Uh, thank you very much for listening and we'll see you on the next episode of Strange and Deadly Show. Bye for now. Goodbye. Together, Mimi and Jolly go on a rampage around LA. Mercer. Uh, fuck, hold on. So, finally, if you want to buy. Oh. <coughs> so, I nearly knocked me water over. Donovan meets up with his. Hang on a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, you don't know how much that takes out of my voice doing that. I and imagine. I come from <laughs> And I come from London. So, you thought I was Cockney, but I'm not really. <coughs> Is a fucking clip, son. Get that in your lug holes. <laughs> right, so that is. Uh... <laughs> well, it was better than the Italian accent, wasn't it? Uh... <laughs>